what a joy to be together. Would you please pray with me? Lord, this really is the first day of the rest of our lives, and, um, and you are the one who's holding us all together. We thank you for the way that, uh, that you can bring about a new day in our hearts because of the love that we receive from you and the love that we can share with one another. Lord, I pray that the whole world would know through our life, through our example, through our witness to who you are, that the whole world would know that they're not alone, that there is a God in heaven who's come to earth and who's made a way for them to know eternity. Bless this time, would you please open our hearts to your word now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, for more than a year now, kids, it's time to go. I can see the arms waving in the back there. If, uh, if there's any... Uh, Youngsters that want to head on out to a time, uh, it's fantastic. Now would be the time to do that. Well, for the last year now, a little bit more than a year, January of 2020 is when we started looking at uh, God's love. We really felt God was calling us to, to go deep into his love. And so we spent more than a year on this journey uh, deeper into God's love. And we, we, we saw multiple things. One thing that has stuck out to me is how God's love is kind of like the sun at the center of our solar system, Right? For just as the sun in our solar system impacts the condition on each planet in the solar system, so too God's love impacts every area of our lives. Today's text has us looking at just how God's love for us influences our love for one another. Now for those who just received their Bibles and for those who received them decades ago, we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 through 2.2. If you want some help finding that, you remember that there's 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You've got some numbers, 1 and 2 in front of that. And you've got 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and 1st and 2nd Timothy. So when you find those guys, you know that Philippians is between them. And it's one of four shorter epistles. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And kids, the way I learned about it over 40 years ago, God's eternal power company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I don't know, it worked for me. <laughs> so kids, go ahead and, and find that in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. And follow along as I read, and you might want to keep the Bible open or your screen handy, because we're going to take a look at verse 27 a little deeper than usual, because it opens the way for us to see everything else clearly. Paul's writing, Whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are now going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and one of mind, or one of purpose, another way to say that. May God help us understand more fully what he's saying to us today through his word. By some estimates, the average adult human being will make upwards of 35,000 decisions in the course of every day. Some of those decisions are automatic. 
Others are habitual. Uh, some of them are a lot of fun. And, and others are really significant. But no matter what kind of decision is made, it always is based upon two things. It's based upon what the person believes to be true at the moment and what the person believes to be most important at that time. For instance, if you're working at a job that you really like and somehow you get offered another job at a different company for higher pay, then what you hold to be true and what you hold to be most important will become the lens through which you view this decision. So like if you think it's more important to get more money, then the decision's kind of easy, right? But what if the new job takes you away from home more than usual? Or what if it increases your stress levels? Or what if it takes you away from the people that you enjoy being with? I mean, maybe you're ready now for a new challenge. Or, or maybe you truly value the, 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 the uh, people and the processes that you're involved with right now in your job. No matter what's going on, you know that it's going to be what you hold to be important and what you hold to be true that will be the ultimate decider in how you will act and the decision that you will make. Paul says, whatever happens to me, whether I'm able to see you in person or hear about you from Timothy, whatever happens to me, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This opening verse really, I think, helps us understand everything else that Paul's going to say. So I want to take a little time and, and try to make sure we get our arms around that. To begin, Paul did not actually write the words, whatever happens. Uh, he started his, his, this verse with the word only. He said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He did this because he wanted to commute to the Philippians, com communicate to the Philippians that there is one priority that they have, one thing that they should hold more important than other things that would help them in all the decisions they have to make. He says, whatever happens to me, is only, there's only one thing you must make sure that you do, and that is to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. To put it in context, remember last week how Brentley reminded us of how Paul put the exaltation of Christ as the lens through which he saw all of his circumstances, the thing that he used in all of his decisions as well. So having described that, Paul now turns the attention on them, and he says, I want you to be doing the same thing. The most important decision that you have is to exalt Christ by living in a manner worthy of the gospel. How do you live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, the word translated um, manner of life is a very specific word. One that Paul uses only here in all of his letters that he writes. And I think he used it for a reason. Because the word very specifically relates to being a good and faithful citizen. Remember that Philippi was a Roman colony one of only five cities in all of Macedonia who held that honor. They were given rights and privileges that other people in other towns did not enjoy. You know that the, the city carried a Roman vibe when you walked through the town, you know? And the citizens, they, they acted and they spoke like Romans. They all knew that their town and their population was different from all the cities and people around them. So when Paul said the most important thing is to conduct yourself as a citizen worthy of the gospel, did he mean a citizen of Philippi or a citizen of heaven? Now there's a lot we could say about this, but I'm just going to summarize it for us and say he meant both of them, I believe, because we know that the earthly kingdom we live in, Scripture teaches, the earthly kingdom we live in is always subsumed within and subordinate to the heavenly kingdom to which we belong. 
Philippi, we know, was a colony of Rome, and so it was expected to reflect Roman values through its laws and through its personal conduct. So when you walk through the Philippian gates, it was expected that you would glimpse a little of the wonder and grandeur of the glory of Rome. In the same way, the Philippian church was a colony of God's heavenly kingdom. So it was expected to reflect the values of that heavenly kingdom, the values that would be seen in the way the people related to one another and the way the people related to the world around them. Paul knew that those who saw the Philippian church were expected to glimpse just a, a little bit of the wonder and the glory and the grandeur of God's heavenly kingdom. And the two primary things he's talking about right now in Philippians, there's more to come, but the two he's brought up right now are love and unity. Because, of course, love is what, you know, God is love, right? That's what the Apostle John said. And unity, God is three in one. When we talk about unity, when we talk about love, we're talking about who God is and his very character, his very essence. And so that very character and essence is supposed to be reflected in his people, in his kingdom. Their love and their unity, Paul says, is in Christ, right? Christ is the one who brings it. Christ is the one who strengthens it. Christ is the one who deepens it. And Christ is the one who's exalted by it. So what do we need to do to experience this kind of love and to express this love? I appreciate that Paul doesn't give us a bunch of rules to follow, does he? No, he just gives us one example of one life, the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. In just a few verses, we'll get into this very soon in the following weeks, but just in a few verses, he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. To live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ is to live like Christ in his love for one another. Remember on the night in which he was betrayed, John chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. You. The Apostle John picked up on that multiple times in his epistles. He says, love one another. The Apostle Peter said, love one another deeply from the heart. Paul says, our love must be sincere. So to live in a manner worthy of the gospel is to follow Christ's example of love. Now we know that, that we love, right? Any kind of love that we're expressing, we love is because God first loved us. So when God loves us, we respond to that love, and our response to God's love allows God's life to flow into us without limit. I'm referring back to December 27th, the sermon I preached here. You can, take, you can listen to that if you want more details. But his life flows into us without limit. And when God's life flows into us, spiritual fruit is developed, the gospel is proclaimed with power, and Christ is exalted. So what does it look like to love like this? Well, well, Paul gives a couple of different descriptions here. He says, stand firm in the one spirit. In other words, be fully committed to what God has revealed to you and don't let it get diluted and don't let it get washed away. Stand firm in one spirit. Strive together, contend together as one for the faith of the gospel. In other words, don't let a wedge divide and separate you from one another. He said, live without fear because no opposition can stop what God will do in you. And finally, be one in spirit, one of mind or one of purpose. These are just some of the things that will be seen in citizens of heaven who live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is the, the first time you guys have, have heard this sermon. I've heard it multiple times. I've been working through it in my head over the last week. And I've got to tell you, I am really challenged 
by what the Holy Spirit is speaking through the Apostle Paul's pen. I'm challenged to ask myself, how do I view the church? What is the lens through which I see the body of Christ? Do I see it through my consumeristic lens, you know, for what I can get out of it? What is the most important thing for me that determines how I relate to the church? Is it, is it that the church does the things the way that I want them done, that makes the decisions the way I want them to be made, that agrees with me in the way that I view the world in some ways? Paul tells us that the gospel of Christ is the most important lens for viewing the church. It's how we order our lives. It's how we order our relationships. The gospel that says that Jesus Christ has received all authority on heaven and earth. It's a gospel that says that Jesus is the new king. He is a good and loving king, and he is going to return as Savior to to bring all things under his full control, to restore all of creation back to its original design. And this is fantastic news to those who call him king, and it's terrifying news to those who call themselves king. But we know that those who proclaim him as Lord already live within his kingdom, right? That's where we are. We live in his kingdom. It's already present but not yet fully consummated because the king has not yet returned. So while we are here, no matter what happens to us, no matter what circumstances we find, no matter how people might respond to us, we make sure that we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that Jesus is exalted. Is unity really that important? Yeah, it is. And it's even more than that, actually. So we've seen how Jesus provides the model for it, and we've looked at how it can be described, but how might it be defined? Well, best description, best de- definition I found is in Philippians 2.2, that we are one in spirit and one of mind, or better yet, one of purpose. One of spirit. That we are motivated by the same love. It's a love that flows to us from God through the Holy Spirit. We're one in the same love, and we are one in that we have the, 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 the things that are on God's heart are the things that are on our heart as well. Now, again, this does not mean that we're going to see everything the same way. We're not going to make all the same decisions in the same way and agree on everything. But to stand side by side and to contend as one person, we must consider the essential elements of this faith, of this gospel that we've received, to be more important than other things that we come across. Essential elements, like the virgin birth, the dual nature of Christ being fully God and fully man, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his justifying resurrection, his glorious ascension to the place of highest honor at the Father's right hand so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The authority of Scripture, the missional nature of the church, these these are the kind of unbreakable truths that take priority over everything else and bind God's people together. But there are so many things to distract us, aren't there? Distract us away from the unifying power of these truths. And when we listen to the, uh, the many voices of our American culture, we, we can get sidetracked. And we can give a lot of energy and a lot of time to things that do not exalt Christ. But that's not new either. The Apostle Paul was dealing with that, right? He wrote Timothy, he said, have nothing to do with, quote, stupid and foolish arguments that bring nothing but quarrels. 
You see, when a diverse cross-section of humans stand side by side and contend as one person for the faith of the gospel, Jesus Christ is exalted. But when those same people stand face to face and argue about smaller things, lesser th things of lesser importance, Jesus is not exalted. And in fact, I think it can go so far as to say what, what Paul said to the church at Rome, that God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Oh, man. Is it that important? Yeah, unity is that important. So i got to say it again. The unity Jesus prayed for in John 17 and that Paul calls us to is not something that we generate in and of ourselves. The Holy Spirit comes upon us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then we choose, by the power of the Spirit, to align ourselves with what the Spirit tells us is true. So what the Spirit tells us was true, and what the Spirit tells us is important, we align ourselves to those things and we find the unity that we desire. See, when we choose to hold on to our anger, when we choose to hold on to our rights, when we choose to hold on to our desire, when we choose to say to God, my will be done, we grieve the Holy Spirit, Scripture says. We, uh, we quench the Spirit's fire of His work in our lives. But when we surrender what we want, when we embrace what God says is true and important, and we become like a branch that's abiding in the vine, bearing fruit that will last for Christ's glory. You see, we surrender, God works, and Christ is exalted. I think we all know the last year of COVID and politics has clearly revealed that, uh, that we're not going to agree on everything. You know, governmental policies, the way to handle a global pandemic, to mask or not to mask. Uh, there's so many other things out there that are just an insufficient lens through which to view the church and a woefully insufficient criteria for deciding how we will relate to one another and how we will relate to the world around us. Woefully insufficient because it all falls short of God's plan for exalting Christ. I want to ask the question I've asked myself. What is your criteria? deciding how you will relate to people in the church and people outside the church? What is the lens through which you view God's people? Paul said the most important criteria for decision-making has to do with our living as a citizen of heaven, reflecting what God has given us in Christ, even while we're on this earth, so that Christ alone is exalted. All right, so let's, let's, let's get practical now. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, I think we can go to the Sermon on the Mount to find some descriptions of that. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Here's just some of the things that Jesus talked about for people who live in his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for their unwavering faith in Christ. He said that his people will be honest. They would let their yes be yes and their no be no to love your neighbor and to love your enemy. They will do good to those who wrong, do, do wrong to them. That if somebody offends you, forgive them. Don't retaliate. And if a, if a governmental official, a soldier in particular, steps into your life, interrupts your entire day in your schedule, and demands that you carry his gear for a full mile, you know what you're supposed to do? Carry it for two. And pray for those who persecute you. 
The apostles teach us to pray for those who serve in government and to submit to them because God has put them there for a reason. The Apostle Paul tells us to live our lives as a living sacrifice, no longer conform to the pattern of this world because there's a different pattern that we are now to follow. You see, when, when compared to the pattern of this world, the expectation of heavenly citizens, the pattern we're supposed to follow seems upside down. Paul told the Corinthians, our weapons are not of this world, but they are divinely powerful. You know, when we think about what it means to stand side by side and what it means to contend for the faith, we, we, we tend to think in a particular way that makes what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying seem kind of strangely unnatural. That's not what we do, is it? But the biblical definition is unnatural to us because it's unnatural to the, the culture we've lived in for so many years. I think living in a culture that celebrates power and uses violence as a means of entertainment makes it very, very difficult for any of us to, to catch a consistent example of what a citizen of heaven should live like. I mean, where do we look to find that model of heavenly citizenship? Not on Netflix or Hulu. I mean, there might be a couple of different options where they're there, but vast majority aren't that, are they? How do I know what a heavenly citizen looks like and how is it applied? Well, this is where it gets fun because in several places the Apostle Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We want to know what it looks like. Just look to Jesus in the Gospels. And just consider some things here. For instance, have you ever noticed that Jesus never expressed personal offense? When attacked or publicly slandered, he responded in grace. It's like he was never offended or angered in the first place. He, he, he wasn't angered when 5,000 people inconvenienced his plans and they were hungry. He wasn't angered when people falsely accused him. How is that possible? At the same time, he reserved his strongest words of truth for the religious professionals who should have known better in what they were doing. And when it came to people who, who were outside of the faith or outside of the Jewish faith or tradition or came to folks that, that were considered quote-unquote sinners, oh man, did he have grace and patience with them, didn't he? Love. But Jesus is not the only example. Paul listed himself as an example too. And think about what Paul did. So in Philippi with Silas, he allowed himself to get beaten for Christ. And then in Jerusalem when he was alone, he, he uh, used his Roman citizenship to escape another beating. What's he thinking about that? How is he living as a citizen in that way? It's very fascinating to, to ponder these things. And, and then even in our text today, I mean, think about this. When he talks about standing side by side and contending as one person, he doesn't talk about us doing that against something, does he? He talks about us doing that for something. For the gospel of Christ. At the risk of being cliche, what Paul is saying is that a citizen of heaven, rather than curse the darkness, they light a candle in love. It's fascinating, but, but, but just taking some time to sit with Jesus and Paul as examples of what it is to be a heavenly citizen uh, really brings some really interesting conversations, and I would encourage everyone here to do that at some point in time this week, over the dinner table or some other time. Go to our website, download the Amplify Guide. It'll give you some good hints and questions to ask and thoughts you can do throughout the week just to continue to interact with this text a little bit more. Some really good thoughts as we think about Paul and Jesus and the example they gave. 
So, so, so let's, let's take it one step further. What does it look like to live as a citizen of, of heaven within these United States in the 21st century? How do we take what Paul and Jesus did and bring it up to date? Well, the way I do it is going to be different from the way you do it. But our motivation is going to be the same. One heart, one mind, one purpose, one spirit, flowing out of a love that flows into us. We will do what we do together, side by side, for the purpose of exalting Jesus, the Christ, and living together under his loving rule. And when we run across places where we don't agree, we've already done that multiple times, and we will do it again, when we, when we, when we run across places we don't agree, we'll follow Paul's example or Paul's teaching in uh, Philippians chapter 3. When we do find things we don't agree on, we'll wait before the Lord because, and let God make it clear to us. And while we're waiting... We should apply what we've already attained. We should live into what we already know to be true. See, we don't need to agree on everything, but we are called to agree on kingdom essentials and exalt Christ by standing together, kingdom people, despite our differences. Well, I think many of you know, most of you, maybe all of you know, that the season of Lent has now begun. It began last Wednesday. That was Ash Wednesday. Lent, for those who may not be aware, is a a traditional time in the Christian church where, uh, where followers of Christ take a moment to prepare for the celebration of Easter, of, of Christ's resurrection, by, by looking inward and asking the question, where am I aligning well with God's Holy Spirit, and where am I not aligning well with God's Holy Spirit? This might be a great season for us to ask a couple questions of ourselves and maybe even begin to practice one spiritual practice. Here, here's a couple questions we can ask. Just, just I'll, I'll give them a couple times. How does living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ play out, and I'm going to use you know, smaller circles that keep expanding, so just think about expanding circles geographically. How does living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ play out in my family, my neighborhood, my workplace, and my church? How does it play out in those different arenas? And then the second question is, 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 is connected. Does my desire to exalt Christ influence my decisions in these places, or is there a different lens I look through? Does my desire to exalt Christ influence my decisions in these areas, or is there a different lens I look through? As you're evaluating, ask the Lord about it, and he will speak to you on it. He will reveal things to you. It's fascinating. So that's, those are the questions we can ask in these weeks ahead. As for a spiritual practice, as you go through the day, today, tomorrow, throughout the week, next couple of weeks, as you go through the days, just become aware of those moments when you feel offended or when you feel angered. And when that emotion bubbles to the surface or maybe it erupts to the surface, stop and ask, ask, ask the Lord, why? Why am I feeling this right now? Because I can guarantee you that when we look at the Scriptures, Anger is always listed over here in, the, in the, the vices list. It's never a fruit of the Spirit, you know? So when we see when offense and anger wells up in us, it's a great opportunity. It's a signpost that points to different things in our life that are not aligned properly with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord why it's bubbling up, and he'll let you know. Under the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit, our goal is to become like Christ in the way we think, the way we feel, in the way we act, and in the way we relate to one another. And this run-up to Easter is a great time to ponder these things, to rely on God's Spirit, to pray.
practice together what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, would you please help us grasp what you say is true, what you declare to be ultimately most important. And then, Lord, help us to take these things and let them impact the choices we make and the actions we take. Lord, would you, would you teach us to exalt you in all things? Make that the most important thing we're doing. How does this exalt Christ in this moment? Show us how to align our lives with your purposes so that we might bear the fruit of your, of your unity, standing firm in one spirit, contending as one person, living without fear, and understanding that the struggles and suffering we go through can be seen through the lens of your gospel. Lord, we need your help to do this. We can't do it on our own. It's your spirit who unites us, your spirit who empowers us, and your spirit who frees us to live as citizens of heaven, exalting Christ and giving other people a glimpse into the wonder and grandeur of your kingdom. Lord, let it be so in Christ's name. Amen.